From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 134 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling and I am joined by my co-host, producer and good friend Craig Williams. Well, we had a a person in the Disney community pass away uh, recently, Kirk Douglas, who uh, was born 15 years after Walt Disney on December 9th, 1916. He passed away at the age of 103, amazing, (laughs) on February 5th, 2020. And he served in the United States Navy during World War II from 1941 to 1944. And he starred in many films during his acting career. And probably folks have seen a lot of those Land, the the boisterous harpooner in 1954's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And, you know, people always ask, uh, did Kirk Douglas really sing the film's most memorable song, um, A Whale of a Tale, that was written by Norman Gimble and Al Hoffman? And yes, he did. He had, he had sung in, in a movie prior to to 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And and Whale of a Tale was even released as a single in 1954. And... Uh, this is one of my all-time favorite Disney live-action films. Yeah, yeah, we and we've talked about it the, mm-hmm. before many, many times on this show, especially when we're talking about movies and Disney classics. And you know, my, uh, of course, your first uh, recognition with the movie would have been, you know, seeing it at some point in time. My first one was actually you mentioned Whale of a Tale. My first time having any experience with uh with like oh, just blanked on it 20,000 leagues under the sea my first mm-hmm. time with that experience was uh on one of the disney sing-along songs that was themed to uh sea i think it was little mermaid was the the one they were pushing with it but they had they had whale of a tail as one of the sing-along songs Mm -hmm. on that so like that's where i found out about it and then of course coming to walt disney world and and experiencing Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea and then finally getting to to see the movie like it's it's been something that has been important uh to me for just so so long and it's a it's losing kirk douglas is a big loss it's actually funny kylie and i just watched this i i put it on disney plus and showed it to her as she half paid attention to it for the first time, like maybe three or four weeks ago. And I even, I pointed it out. I said, you see that actor right there? Yeah. And it's like, would you believe me if I told you that he was still alive? And it's like, no, like, well he is. And you know, it's barely any time later and, and we lose him. And even more ironic was 
the day that Kirk Douglas passed away, I have one twenty thousand leagues under the C shirt, and I was wearing it that day. And of course, I I put it on first thing in the morning, and I got home from Universal and got on Twitter and and saw that he had passed away. I was like, that is spooky. That is that is so. odd. Yeah. Yeah, now, you know, you might wonder why Kirk Douglas never appeared in another film for Walt Disney. Well, during a visit to Walt's home in 1956 to see Walt's Carrollwood Pacific Railway, he brought his family. And a film crew was at Walt's house that day filming some footage for an upcoming television episodes. And and, and some footage was later broadcast showing Walt Disney, Kirk Douglas, and a whole passel of children on the Lily Bell, including a 12-year-old Michael Douglas. This upset Kirk Douglas, and he wrote a letter to Walt about exploiting his children and to never show the film footage again. Walt sent an apology letter back to Kirk Douglas. Well, about two months later, the TV studio aired a rerun and showed the footage again without Walt's knowledge. And Douglas attempted to sue Walt, but failed. And that is reportedly why Kirk Douglas never appeared in any more Disney films after mm. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yep. So, Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I could... I could yeah. understand it, but you know, if it if it's true, yeah, I could see. Yeah. But it anyway. had no impact on his uh, on his career at all, though. So, because no. you know, he's he twenty thousand leagues under the sea might be like a lot of a lot of what Disney fans know him, but I mean, just in the years after that, uh, a few years after that, not to because I love Kubrick, you know, Paths of Glory and then Spartacus and mm-hmm. his career just kept going on and on and on and on after that. So it's, you know, it he, he did a lot of good in his very, very long career. Yeah, so he did. He did so I mean, he rests in peace and his son, of course, lives on in hopefully the Ant-Man films. <laughs> so, I, anyway. Yeah, forgot that I, I always forget that he's in those. So, but yeah. both of them, Disney, important to Disney. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, my Disney Plus saga sort of continues. Uh, you know, I was having, I continue to have buffering issues. So, I'm working with my internet provider, and so now, now I'm being sent the, these things. I'd I'd heard of them and thought they were a scam, but apparently they're not. They're like these Wi-Fi pods that you put around your house, you yeah, plug mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. to boost your internet reception. So that's the next thing we're going to try. And they, so they but do so, work. Yeah. No, oh, good. So, and, and yeah, they come with directions as to where to place them and all this kind of stuff. And I guess you control them by an app on your phone. So, um, but anyway, so that, so <laughs> at some point, everything will work. So anyway, but, um, but speaking of Disney plus, uh, this, there was a film on, although I thought it was going to be a series, but that we both, when we were at the D23 Expo, we both said we were looking forward to this, and I watched it. Um, Timmy Failure, Mistakes Were Made. Have you watched this yet? No, haven't haven't caught it yet, so I, I have to be careful when I watch it, because uh, his, his polar bear sidekick will uh, will definitely drive my dogs nuts. So you, your dogs not only bark at other dogs on television; they bark at polar bears. Oh yeah, any any animal 
that they see. Oh. Yeah. If it's it, – well, and here's the thing that might help me. If it's really, like, animated and doesn't look realistic at all, then they they don't buy it. They, they're they smart enough to know that. But if it looks even slightly real, then – that game over so i think i think they'll bark oh good yeah i'm like i'm at my wit's end right now because they keep playing the commercial for uh harrison ford's call of the wild and and it's just i want i hope that's good it's well it's non-stop barking in my house so (laughs) maybe the dogs are voting for uh, their approval well i thoroughly enjoyed this film i i laughed out loud Many, many times. I love the sense of humor. I love, I love the, well, uh, the, uh, I, I think that I saw the writer and I think he does the cartoon strip Pearls Before Swine that has a lot of sarcasm and dry humor in it. And, and this does as well. This, though, is a very layered film. You, you can take it on different levels. You can just sit back and enjoy it for what it is at the at the face level that it's just funny but for people there's depths to it depending upon how far you want to go in um in well we're talking about the polar bear in and let's say when the polar bear arrives and in the role the polar bear is fulfilling and in in the whole role of the detective agency in Timmy's life. So so there there's some profoundness in this film as well that perhaps might keep parents intrigued. And um, mm. it's it's really well done. I mean to see a film have that many layers to it that that I think everybody in the whole family can watch and and enjoy and find something in. Uh, um it's, it's a rare film really that does that. And yeah. I I I enjoyed it tremendously, and I wish it were a TV series. Well, I mean, who knows what Disney Plus one day it could be? So, yeah, maybe maybe if this does really well, or or they'll do a sequel. I would love to see more of Timmy Failure and his detective agency. Yeah. Well, and and they, they do leave it where it's a possibility. If they wanted to do more, they could, but they also conclude it. Yeah. Also as well. Well, I mean with your with your lucky streak, I know you were the one person out there wishing that they would bring high school the musical, the musical, the series back for a season two focusing on Beauty and the Beast and and you got your wish for that, so I, I haven't watched that series yet. <laughs> but so you you still got your wish that you were wishing, <laughs> even though you you haven't seen it. It's that's what's gonna motivate you to, oh, to finally sit so. down and watch it. You didn't know? All right. No, I had oh. no idea. Oh, funny. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so let me know when you watch it. I think you're going to enjoy yeah. it. So, well, it's it's that time once again to start thinking, folks, about our our next uh, question and answer episode. It's coming up in March, I believe. Craig, do you want to? tell our listeners more about that yeah don't have uh, exactly a pinpointed date for when the episodes are going to be released however uh, we do know when our uh, submission taking is going to be over 
So that means you have to start asking questions. And uh, if you're new to how we handle our question and answer episodes, uh, I'll give you a pretty quick rundown here. And essentially, uh, it's very simple. Any questions that you have about Disney history, Walt Disney, the parks, Imagineering, movies, TV, music, all aspects of Disney, you'll be able to ask us uh, through Facebook. We'll uh, over at facebook.com slash disunplugged. We'll have a thread that's up with this episode where all you have to do is leave in the comments below what your question is, and then we could potentially answer it on our episodes of Connecting with Walt. And uh, the fun part is we, we really we get a ton of questions every single time around and we get through a lot of them uh, there's always uh, you know some that we don't have time for that we wish we got to but uh, if, you, if you submitted in the past and we didn't choose it feel free to do it again and uh, with that comes the rules and stipulations that of course uh, <laughs> we do not answer questions that are are kind of posed with just a simple yes or no question, uh, a simple yes or no answer. You know, we need we need to be able to actually speak about it for a little bit. So uh, try to try to think of some questions that that help us really. Uh, I don't want to say stretch it out in that way, but yeah, kind of give give us a little bit extra to work with. And on top of that, too, don't bother asking us what we think Walt would think about this or that because we don't have answers for that, as no one knows what Walt would be thinking and or doing. So uh, we can't really answer those. So uh, you have until March 1st in order to submit your questions. That is a Sunday this year if my calendar wasn't lying to me. So you have from now till March 1st. So a little over two weeks to to get in your questions. And once again, that's at facebook.com slash disunplugged. Don't just ask your questions anywhere there will be a specific thread that we have started saying ask your questions in the comments below do that there mm-hmm. and that's the only place we're going to grab the questions from mm-hmm. so if you mm-hmm. send them anywhere else we're not going to grab them exactly for the episode and 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 kudos to the person who last time asked what would walt ask that was very cute so don't <laughs> don't don't submit that one again yeah. <laughs> once was enough Well, you know, I have been fortunate to have started with the Diz seven years ago, but years before that, Carol and I, you know, listened to the podcast, we attended Diz events, and we both made lifetime friends through the Diz, and many of whom we consider family. Uh, The support, love, and prayers we received from the Diz community through the 10 years of Carol's battle with pulmonary hypertension and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma got us through many of the challenges, and our Diz friends um, helped raise our spirits and always gave us something to look forward to. Well, now I'm asking for support and prayers from our Diz family. During a couple of routine procedures, a tumor of significant size was discovered on my appendix. On February 19th, my appendix will be removed. And if the tumor is determined to be benign, that will be the end of it. Um, If it is cancerous, then more extensive surgery will be required. The doctors, however, are very optimistic that it is benign. Um, If it is not, I have 10 years of Carol's spirit, positivity, and forward thinking to draw from as an example as to how I will move forward with with handling that challenge. So Craig and I have pre-recorded several episodes of Connecting with Walt to ensure you enjoy our stories during my recovery. 
and I hope that you will send me positive thoughts, prayers, and pixie dust on the 19th, and I will keep you updated as best I can during that time. Well, this year is the 65th anniversary of Disneyland, and you may be planning a visit to Walt's Park to celebrate, and I often receive questions uh, from listeners asking about other ways they can connect with Walt during their Disneyland vacation. Well, listeners to our Legacy Disneyland series that I was a part of for several years may remember Mary Jo's Day 6 segments in which she described other unique activities you could do in Southern California after your five-day Disneyland passport was used up. Now, During one of Mary Jo's Day 6 segments, she described driving excursions to see other places important in the life of Walt Disney. So I've invited Mary Jo to join me and Craig to talk about how we all can connect with Walt whilst in Southern California, whether you're a tourist or a local. So Mary Jo, welcome back to Connecting with Walt. Hi, thank you for having me back. I'm so excited to talk to you guys again. Oh, we are excited to have you. So, and you know, I was in preparation for this. You know, I I had to have a special snack, only so that I could hear you say it. I had tortilla chips with with guacamole. I'm pretty sure you are. Absolutely <laughs> right. You know how much I always loved it when you said it that way. So anyway, but I did, and I used the recipe that I've tried to always mimic from Tortilla Joe's when you and I went there. Oh my gosh, that was such a neat experience, right? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, but I watched that young lady, well, she's probably 112, but I watched her (laughs) like a hawk and how she made that. So, because it was so good. Yes. Tableside guacamole. So, anyway. Now, if you're thinking of tuning out because you've already heard Mary Jo's Day 6 segment on this back in the day, don't touch that dial because Mary Jo and I have expanded the list to include more sites. And, you know, Craig is here to 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 talk about his experiences at the sites. Mm-hmm. And I'll be talking about why these sites are important in the life of Walt Disney and his legacy. So this is this is a completely different. Um, episode than what you may have heard back on our old Disneyland show. So, you know, it's it's time to, you know, get in our car and buckle up. So, Mary Jo, <laughs> what kind of a car will you be taking us around in as we connect with Walt in Southern California? Well, I've got a nice little roomy Camry, and it fits five people, because we don't want to make it too big, so it's a nice, cozy little group that's going to go. And I've done this several times. Mm-hmm. Uh, pick, picked up some friends from the Walt Disney uh, Disneyland resort area. So mm-hmm. typically when we've done this, I usually pick everybody up about nine o'clock in the morning, give them time to, to have a little bit of breakfast, get some of that nourishment in and energy so that we can go sightseeing and visit Walt's Disney or Walt Disney's uh, Los Angeles. Okay. Leaving at that time, um, you kind of miss the real heavy traffic and we're going against traffic, going from, from the Disneyland Resort towards Los Angeles. So it's not as heavy like as if we were going in the afternoon or going the other way. So it's a good time to start. Excellent. Okay. So, um, well, why don't you tell us where we're heading first and, and about how long do you think it would take to get there? That's a really good question. I'm thinking that it's probably going to take about 
um, anywhere from half an hour to 45 minutes. And we're actually going to start where, where Walt Disney himself started when he first came to Los Angeles back in 1923. We're going to start with Uncle Robert Disney's house. Okay. Yeah. And this is a one-story craftsman bungalow. And as you said, it's significant because it is the first home of Walt Disney in Los Angeles. And it's the location of his first local animation work. And and we'll be talking more about that as we go on. This house was owned by Disney's um, Uncle Robert and Aunt Charlotte. And this is when um, Walt was 21 years old and he came here in 1923. And he began his animation work in the garage while boarding with them at their home. Uncle Robert charged Walt $5 a week for rent, which was often paid by his um, brother Roy. And Walt lived here from August to September of 1932. And the house at 4406 Kingswell Avenue remains, it's fairly intact. It has the original windows, a wraparound front porch, and a shingle-clad exterior with wide overhanging eaves. The interior retains the original woodwork and a fireplace mantle that features rough-hewn stone. Um, The property remained in the Disney family for 30 years, and its association to Disney's is well-documented. There's family home movie footage depicting the family in the front yard. If you go to the Walt Disney Family Museum, there are plenty of photos of Walt and Lillian visiting Uncle Robert. Um, when the house was threatened with demolition, a campaign started to save it for its historic value. The house was purchased, and it's currently owned by Walt's granddaughter, Joanna Disney Miller. I didn't know that she had bought it. Yeah, I, it, it was very quietly she purchased it. I And I know that we're going to talk about um, the the first little studio, the garage, but... Um, that when that was almost demolished, um, somebody had to actually they only let him buy the garage when he became a tenant in the house. So I, I, it's nice to know that so many people care enough about the history and the significance of Walt Disney here in Los Angeles to to save these these places, I think. Mm-hmm. I think so, especially after Los Angeles went through a period where they destroyed so many of their historic buildings and homes. It's nice that people are starting to value them again. And the thing that blows my mind about... Uh, about uncle robert's house is like i've only seen pictures of it i haven't actually gone in person but even though this is a house that is that old i mean it looks like the houses that they're just now building today still especially in Mm -hmm. florida i know i've seen them all around california as well too that it's it it, it's like that style has completely re-emerged for these kind of bungalow little one-story houses and so like i i look at it and i'm like I can't believe that is as old as it is because it, it looks like it could have just been built in, in many regards. So it's it's a it really is a, a living piece of history that's that's very impressive to look at. Yeah, and not only just because it's Disney, but like you said, Craig, it's it's a style that they have. They're called bungalow houses, so it's a style particular to Los Angeles that people are starting to value. And, it, and to preserve them, yeah. which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the address, I don't know if you've said it yet, Michael, but the address is 4406 Kingswell Avenue in Los Angeles. 
And it's uh, it's near the, the Silver Lake area or the Los Feliz area that if you go to California Adventure, you're definitely these the names when you drive there are going to be very familiar to those of you who are those of us who um, are such fans of Disney and the Disney uh, par- properties. Oh, and if, if you're sitting there now quickly writing down the address and all that, uh, Mary Jo has this amazing map she put together. Why don't you, why don't you tell folks about the map? Cause we're going to, Craig's going to put this map in our show notes. Okay. Well, I, I really, um, I want I want people to have the ability to visit these places because, you know, Michael and I aren't always going to be around to, to share them personally with you, although we would love to, or Nancy, because she does this also. So what I did is I put a map together that anybody can use to pick the spots they want to go visit. And um, it's in Google Maps, and it's called Waltz LA. And we'll, like Michael said, we'll have a link to it. And when you click on the different places, a little description and pictures pop up of the, of the map. And I don't, I think you can, um, when you get the, when you get the map yourself, you can um, kind of determine how long it will take to get from one place to another and, and mm-hmm. kind of plot out your day. Cause there is a lot of, a lot of locations we're going to be talking about, but yet a lot of them are close together. So you can maybe do one or two visits and and cluster those locations so that you can spend more time and enjoy the, the general area around them also. Mm-hmm. And it, and you can have this podcast on in your <laughs> yeah. car as you drive, <laughs> and we will be giving you a personally guided tour of Waltz, Los Angeles. We should have a little I mean, bell that goes ding. Okay, the yeah. next page. <laughs> <laughs> really, Tinker Bell. Yeah. Those oh, old, there um, you go. <laughs> Those old books. Mm-hmm. All right. So, okay. So anything more about Uncle Robert's house before we head off? Okay. Well, if, since we, well, you know, I mentioned that um, Walt didn't stay long in Uncle Robert's. So he, he moved out. He and Roy both moved out and they shared a studio apartment. So, uh, so do you want to tell us um, about that one? It, uh, it's a King's Wall. It was like across the street. Yeah, it's literally <laughs> across the street. And so um, the the address for this one is 4409, whereas <laughs> Uncle Robert was at 4406. So I think Uncle Robert may have gently or not so gently encouraged them to move out after a few months of, of living with him. And so it's a duplex that they both moved into. Mm-hmm. And they lived there for a few months. Yeah, uh, yeah. They they lived there together, and um, after about a year, the brothers decided that it was time to get their own separate places. They basically were getting on each other's nerves, <laughs> and, and Walt was always complaining about Roy's cooking. And one day, Walt um, Walt complained about it, and and Roy said, "Well, you can go to hell." <laughs> Or something to that effect. And he stormed out. And so Roy decided the best way to get a place of his own was by asking his fiance, Edna Francis, to come to Los Angeles. And we've talked about this in um, you know, in in, in, her, in an earlier episode. So they got married. Edna and Roy got married at Uncle Robert's house. On April 11th, 1925, and there's photos of that wedding at the Walt Disney Family Museum. And Walt was the best man, and Lillian 
um, Bounds was the maid of honor. And Walt followed suit, and he got married to Lillian Bounds on July 13th, 1925. They got married at Lillian's family's home in Lewiston, Ohio, Idaho. So they went back east. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, okay. or Midwest, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. Or, well, for me, it's east. Okay. <laughs> well, for all of us, it's east. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then just down the block from there it was the first Disney Brothers studio. Yeah, so they actually went um, in the... It was, a, I believe, a real estate office, and they had they were in the back room for a little while until they moved next door and opened up their own, their own little studios. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Walt had received a contract to produce a series of Alice comedies that we've talked about on the show. Craig and I have, and he was living with his uncle Robert on King's on Near Commonwealth in, in Hollywood. You know, a couple blocks down the same street. You know, he found a real estate firm at 4651 Kingswell, and they weren't using the back half of their office. So he had made arrangements to rent it and moved in during October 1923. Soon, however, after a little money had come in, like you said, Mary Jo, was able to rent the next door store at 4649 Kingswell. And the Disney Brothers Cartoon Studio had its own first real location. And the Disney's moved to a new studio on Hyperion Avenue in 1926. But so now if we drive there now, though, what are we going to see? Well, actually, this this location is, is only like maybe a couple of minutes away from Uncle Robert's house. So it's, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to get there really quickly. And what it is now, it's a copy store. And the owner is very proud that Walt Disney was there. And there's actually a sign in the window with a nice uh, big picture of Mickey Mouse that says that they call it Walt Disney's first studio. Mm-hmm. So you can actually, it's a quiet street. It's a little bit, um, uh, not very busy shops are there and you can, so it's no problem parking in front and getting out to take a picture of the little sign that shows that Walt Disney was there. So it's kind of cool to see that, you know, this area that he was in. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's nice. It's not yeah. nice that the person who owns it isn't bothered. Right. It's you know this was a this is a historic spot. Yeah. 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 Have, have you been there, Craig, at all? I I have been to this one. Uh, only here's the weird part, and maybe it's just I was either napping or or not paying enough attention. But I know both of the times I've done the adventures by Disney. Uh, trip in Southern California uh, with the Diz and Dreams Unlimited Travel. I know both times we've gone past the first studio, and I've seen it. Like I, I have a photo perfect memory of it from from the last time that we were there and seeing seeing the the tribute in the window and everything. But I can't believe uh, if, unless I'm just like really blanking, we did not drive past Uncle Robert's house, even though it'd be so close by, which that kind of really irritates me because I that, never really knew that yeah. before. But yeah, because I, I like I said, it's only a couple of minutes away. It's right there. So mm-hmm. I'm surprised. So maybe that could be a suggestion that that you give them. Just because of the historical significance, it's where he started. Yeah, and yeah. you know those trips are always really, really well done and really good. But it's also a thing where some Disney trivia is more important to other people, 
So just because something like Uncle Robert's house might be interesting to us doesn't mean that it would be a normal part of anyone's anyone's uh, agenda. But then again, someone from my trip or from another trip might be yelling at me right now saying, of course, we went past there. How could you not remember? See, and we didn't um, because we had a completely different tour. We had a Hollywood like um, tours of the stars home and I did not find it interesting neither did carol i mean there was some parts of it but i would have preferred we what to did more something yeah. like this in place of that. yeah i know when we passed the studio that was definitely on our day where we are going from henson in the morning over to tam o'shanter for lunch and i know we'll get mm-hmm. there in this in this saga in in just a little bit but yeah that's the way they took us they they were able to swing past the studio but yeah it's uh it's definitely something that i would recommend uh at least driving by if you're not going to get mm-hmm. out to take a photo oh yeah absolutely okay now now we're going to go to north melbourne avenue um in Los Angeles. So how far is that from it's, Kingswell? It's all like five minutes away. They're all really oh, okay. close together. Okay. And this is, you know, Walt and Lily and their newlyweds now. And they first rented an apartment at 4637 North Melbourne Avenue in Los Angeles. And Mary Jo, you said that is still there, correct? Correct. That's that. Those apartments are still there. And they really haven't changed too much, which I think is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Great. And then they, they decided to move to a larger apartment. This one was too small for them. And they moved to an apartment at 30, 1307 North Commonwealth Avenue. But uh, I guess the blocks of 1300 and 1400 North Commonwealth Avenue no longer exist. Right. It's a it's a flower shop now. Okay. Like wholesale. Oh, okay. So I was wondering how how do these blocks just disappear? But yeah. so <laughs> okay. okay, great. So and then um, following the success of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit in 1926, Walt and Roy bought an empty lot on Lyric Avenue, and they built matching homes next to each other. Which is really we've been there, um, and. It's kind. It, I didn't even know that you could buy homes in kits, but yet they did. And I think the one of the couple of interesting things about that is, I guess Roy, being the bigger brother, had to have the bigger house, mm-hmm. although it's not bigger by much. And what I liked about Walt Disney is he he's always the person that he he he's um, so artistic that his window has a little stained glass diamond cut in there little stained glass window in there that I, I think is just another, I'm trying to, another sign of just where, where his mind goes, where he just wants to embellish a little bit and just have that, that touch with anything that, that he does. And, and those houses that, that neighborhood. So what I recommend when you go over there, there's a, um, and because you'll have the map with you, on your little uh, smartphone, there's a school there. It's called the John Marshall High School. Mm-hmm. I would park in front of that high school and then walk the, I think it's a block and a half to the houses on Lyric. Um, right, And they're right there in the corner. It's not a long walk at all. And that way you're not parking in front and blocking 
the houses because we do have to be um, cognizant of that. There's people still living there and they really don't want, you know, cars in front and blocking, blocking the street. Yeah. Yeah. So Walton Lillian lived at 2495 Lyric Avenue and Roy and Edna were next door at 2491 Lyric Avenue. And shortly after they moved in, Walt had Lillian's mother also move in to keep Lillian company whilst he worked long hours at the studio. Now, what's interesting about this, these houses, you know, I mentioned, you know, Walt purchased a, a 2,875 square foot lot on the corner and Roy purchased the lot next door. And the Lots cost about $1,000 each, but they both bought Pacific Ready Cut Homes for their lots. So Pacific Ready Cut Homes were ready to assemble and ship to the site, complete with um, knotless Douglas fir framing, cabinets, nails, doors, window screens, hardware paint, uh, you know, sinks, and an instruction manual. And Pacific ReadyCut had built a dozen model homes in 1922 and eventually sold over 37,000 houses in Southern California. That's a lot. Yeah, and I think I, I had read that um, the the it, the house came in 12 boxcars by train. No, yeah, 12,000 pieces via boxcar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so, a lot of pieces to assemble. Yeah, is that amazing? <laughs> yeah. So, and uh, and like you said, the two homes existed today, and the 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 owner had heard rumors that it had once been owned by Walt Disney when he was considering the purchase, but um, the house had been sitting vacant because the owner at the time had passed away, so it sat vacant for six months. So the new owner didn't learn the truth until he did the research after his purchase in 1997 for 150 thousand dollars. So, but the house, yeah. <laughs> But the house was in such disrepair, it had to be gutted to the bare studs. Mm. Wow. New electrical and plumbing had to be installed throughout. So, well, I would think they'd want to do that anyway, just because how old, you know, how, yeah. how old it is. Yeah. So. Yeah. But you want to see this house, too, because, you know, Disney wouldn't let the threat of losing Oswald, you know, get them down. You know, Walt had something bigger in the work. So it was in the garage of this house that Walt, Roy, and Ub Iwerks secretly worked on Mickey Mouse cartoons when they were still under contract with Universal Studios for Oswald. And Lillian and Edna sat at the kitchen table uh, inking all the cells. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So so Mickey Mouse was sort of born in this house. So, so, so yet another studio you know, uh-huh. uh, impromptu studio that they had. I didn't know that. That that makes it even more interesting. Yeah, yeah, isn't it? And then after the success yeah. of Mickey Mouse and the studio's first Oscar, the Silly Symphony's Flower and Trees won the Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film. That's the first time an award in this category was given out. So there's a trivia question for you. The Disney's moved to Walking Way in 1932, just before the birth of their first child. And we'll, we'll get there on our trip. <laughs> Okay. And I just want to mention that, you know, since I did talk about John Marshall High School, mm-hmm. that school in itself is interesting. And I'll just say um, some of the alumni that went there include Leonardo DiCaprio, Heidi Fleiss, Judge Lance Ito. Um, some of us remember her, him. Him, Julie oh yeah. New- yeah. <laughs> Julie Newmar, who played Catwoman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michelle Phillips from the Mamas and the Papas and some others. And it's also been in several TV um, 
TV series, shows, and other movies, including Buffy, but why can't I talk? Buffy the <laughs> Vampire Slayer, Nightmare on Elm Street, Lucas Tanner. Again, this is a long time ago for some mm-hmm. of us. The Wonder Years, Boy Meets World, Sister, Sister, Pretty in Pink, Grease, Space Jam, among others. So, wow. And, and it's a really beautiful, it's, it's all brick. It's a really beautiful high school. Yeah, I think when we were last there, they were um, they're restoring the exterior, the facade or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're going to go now to uh, Walt Disney's Hyperion Avenue Studios. These were really important studios, right? Well, we're going to go where the studios used to be for the yes. most part. <laughs> yes. But you can, we that. can pick up a snack. Here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but it's still worth it's still worth the visit because there is a, a historical plaque and what michael and i are talking about is where the studios or the majority of the studios stood is now there's now a gelson supermarket so you can buy your bottled water or, or other snacks there and stop and you can snap a picture and actually read the historical marker that that marks the spot on Hyperion which, Avenue, right? Which is not, yeah, which is not obvious. You have to go to the bus stop. And it's on a pole near the bus stop, right in front of Gelson's. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, but you, yeah you, had to, you had to hold back a, a tear when we when we stopped over there, I remember. I think, that's, I think the <laughs> sign is, it's rusting. I mean, it's, gosh, you know, I mean, it's sad. Uh, you think Disney would have a monument up to it or something? Yeah. I don't know. The studio, but yeah, this is this is a location of Walt Disney's Hyperion Avenue Studios. Um, Walt and Roy put down a four hundred dollar deposit on a lot at twenty seven nineteen Hyperion Avenue. And that was where they were going to build a new animation studio. This is in the Silver Lake District of Los Angeles, and so the Disney brothers moved their studio from the original. Kingswell Avenue location at 2719 Hyperion in Los Angeles in January 1926, and they named it by agreement with the um, the Walt Disney Studio. And it was at the Hyperion Studio, and now they've lost Oswald. So Walt came up with the new character, and that character, of course, was Mickey Mouse. And this is where, you know, chief animator of iWorks designed... The famous mouse, they gave him the personality of animated two Mickey Mouse cartoons, but Walt was unable to sell them because they were silent films, and sound was revolutionizing the movie industry. So their third Mickey Mouse cartoon, they fully synchronized the sound here at this location, and Steamboat Willie opened to rave reviews at the Colony Theater on in New York on November 18th, 1928. And... Um, there now there is history starting so you can stand in the parking lot of gelson's and um, think wow this is where history was started i don't know what stall it is but um <laughs> <laughs> but i mean it was unprecedented right the how they synchronized the sound the and that first animated featurette i yeah. guess yeah, and there and there were a lot of buildings here because they just kept adding and adding. You know, they they had animators building one. They added a sound stage in 1931. They Walt Roy purchased additional plots of land surrounding the studio, and they built animators building two. This is the Shorts building in 1934, and then ink and paint and what they called the Annex buildings in 1935. Then they had a Features building in 37. 
And then there are a bunch of other smaller buildings constructed on the property. There was a Wurlitzer organ building. There was a warehouse, a film vault, soundstage, a, a monitor room, a camera room, and a garage for Mickey Mouse's car for, for a time. And not only was it here that Mickey Mouse uh, achieved a success, but this is where Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was produced. Yeah, so. it's one. Of, I, I guess there's kind of like a little, we can consider it a little homage, right? Because even though the studios right there in Hyperion were torn down, if you turn the corner right there, um, and the, the, that name of that street is Griffith Park Boulevard, and you go past um, some bungalows you'll see some cottages that look like snow white cottages Mm -hmm. that were part of the studios right i wonder if they used that architecture when they were coming up with the storyboard for snow white well you know there's a rumor and yeah these are these are called the hyperion studio cottages or some some people call them the snow white cottages and yeah these are built 1931 by uh Ben Sherwood, and there's eight cottages. Some people do think that they're a likely inspiration for Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Doors because they have these crag-thatched roofs and black timber framing yeah. and um, random patches of rusticated uh, masonry. So they're, they're great examples of what came to be called the storybook style. And this was sort of a a minor sort of phenomenon in Los Angeles architecture in the 20s and 30s. The um, I don't know if you know this. Is it called the Spadina House in Beverly Hills? That's, I haven't heard of it. That's another example. And, of course, we're going to go here maybe for lunch, the famous Tama Shanter Inn restaurant. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's another example of this um, this fairy tale style, the storybook style that was popular. Well, you know, and there's some animators, I guess, or that live that lived maybe in the area where Nancy lives in Burbank. And there's some houses that are definitely maybe not as I don't want to say ornate, but as detailed as these are. And and but there's definitely a touch. You can see that they've been inspired by these houses. And it just adds this really um picturesque look to to the architecture. Yeah. Now, these are in the 2900 block of Griffith Park Boulevard in Los Feliz. Is that how you say it? And the the cottages are just a few blocks from the Hyperion Avenue Studios site. Uh, The current owner who purchased the property in 1976 claims that a former Disney employee used one of the cottages as an office space during the production of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And uh, these, uh, if you want to see them... um, Rent or stream David Lynch's 2001 thriller Mulholland Drive because the Snow White Cottages are the location for the Sierra Bonita apartment complex mm-hmm. in that film. So, Craig, have you seen that film? I've I, I have seen it, yeah. And it, it was one of those things where when you're describing uh, these these little cottages, because I haven't seen them before uh, in person, it was like it, you know, the first thing in my mind, because I didn't look up a photo of this, but the first thing in my mind did pop up was the Tam O'Shanter kind of exterior with that. But mm-hmm. then I was like, I think I think I've seen them somewhere else, too. <laughs> and you just kind of you, you refreshed it all for me. So, yeah. Yeah. One thing that I do have on the, the Walt map that that I created are pictures of some of these sites. So 
at least you'll know what you're looking for, which kind of helps as you're driving around and, and yeah. visiting the various locations. It's, it's going to help for one or two of these that aren't, you can't clearly see from the um, curb. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Now, of course, after the success of Snow White's and the Seven Dwarfs, and you know they were gearing up for Bambi, Pinocchio, and all that, um, Roy agreed with Walt. They needed more space to increase production. They had run out of space. At Hyperion. So they searched for a new site, which they found in Burbank. Um, Walt, <laughs> Walt put the deposit on the land when Roy was out of town. Out, actually, Roy was out of the country <laughs> when, Roy, when Walt did this. Um, then they moved from Hyperion to Burbank around January 1st, 1940. The move was completed on May 6th, 1940. A few of the Hyperion buildings were moved to Burbank, but the remainder were sold. And then they were used for various uh, other companies. And 26 years later, they were knocked down Gelson Supermarket. So, so much for that. Now, a lot happened during that time, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was, and he seemed to get a lot accomplished when his when his brother went out of town. It looks like. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Most definitely, but although Roy was in agreement um, that they needed to, they needed a larger studio. So I'm not, and I think Roy even was a, was even aware of this property and all that. It was just I think Walt just decided he was going to snap it up. They had the money, so anyway, it's just one of those cute little stories of Walt. <laughs> so. All right. Now you have Prospect Studios on here that I know is now known as um, ABC Television Center West. So Mary Jo, why did you choose this one? Well, I actually used to go there back when I was in college and, you know, like you have free days. We had a, a some family friends, set of twins that one worked for ABC, one worked for NBC. And the work one that worked for ABC used to, whenever I wanted to go up to the studios, I used to go up there. And so I used, I saw like when they would rehearse TV shows like Benson and Silver Spoons and, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I, I'm aging myself here. There used to be a TV show, Good Morning LA, that I that I used to go see and uh, Family Feud with Richard Dawson. I used to go there a lot with my friends and, and see that show and stuff. But it's, it's always interesting to me because just because ABC had lent Disney money to build Disneyland, right? And then Disneyland bought abc back and now these studios that that we're calling so it's abc well then now they call them either prospect um the prospect studios because the name of the street is prospect where they're it's at, at so, 4151 prospect avenue yeah i saw that address <laughs> and i was like oh my gosh how many times have i driven over there but it's 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 also neat because if also if, you, if people are in the area and they want to see a television show you can see like general hospital is also filmed at that location and because it is part of the disney family now and it's in the area so if you like if you're interested because a lot of people who come visit la are interested in the studios because there so much happens right and they're on their the tvs every day they might want to stop there so i included prospect studios Okay. Yeah. And well, Craig, you'll find this interesting. Part of the, some portions of the 1927 film, The Jazz Singer, were filmed at this studio. Oh, wow. So, and yeah. American, and, and okay, I'm going to date myself. American Bandstand started recording <laughs> there in 1964 after they moved from Philadelphia. But I don't know. I remember if you mentioned this, this was Carol's favorite soap opera, General Hospital. 
has yeah. been there since uh, I think the mid eighties. Um, and then, um, and like you said, uh, other shows, another one of my, my, one of my mother's favorite shows was filmed here, the Lawrence Welk show. And one I enjoyed Barney Miller, um, Mr. Belvedere. I never watched that Fridays. <laughs> I don't know what that was. Uh, welcome back. Cotter. I used to I watch that. that. Well, yeah, I used that's to watch where that. John Travolta got started, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, soap, which was controversial oh, yeah. in its day. Uh, there were four well-known game shows, maybe the most well-known game shows. You already mentioned Family Feud. Let's Make a Deal, hosted by Monty Hall, was here. The Dating Game, hosted by Jim Lang. He would come into my parents' business because he also, um, he was a DJ up in San Francisco. Oh, wow. On a, on a radio station up there. And The Newlywed Game, hosted by Bob Eubanks. That was such a funny show and edit for its time. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it was you. The whole family could watch it back in the day. And um, password and password all stars with Alan Ludden was there. That's where he met Betty White, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and even more, the match game was there for one year, but it was hosted by Rob yeah, and all that stuff. So yeah, it's it's um, important in TV um, history, definitely. And it's still being used. That's that's the. Another interesting point about these studios, you know, they've been around for a long time. They've always been pretty busy and they continue to be so. Yeah. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. And then and then we're going to head over to Walt and Lillian's second home on Walking Way. And the, and this is at um, 4053 Walking Way. So and um, this $50,000 12 room on French Norman style. This was built in the summer of 1932, and it was built in just two and a half months because Walt and Lillian wanted it to be ready in time for their first child. And Walt designed the home with architect Frank Crowhurst, and he worked on a tower addition to the Hyperion studio, that famous tower. And um, Walt was... uh, Walt was... um, had said that the primary workforce was out of workday labor construction workers happy to find any type of temporary job during the depression. So the workmen would just show up at this, this building site every day, hoping they would be selected for work that day. And so, um, and Walt said, uh, in an, when he told an artist in 1944, we've been living in a little place where I couldn't turn around, so I made the architect add three or four yards to every room in the house. <laughs> so, uh, and and unfortunately, Lillian miscarried, but then the Disneys were blessed mm-hmm. with a daughter, Diane, a little more than a year later, in December 1933. And um, apparently, have you been inside this house, Mary Jo? Because it's supposed they to be a- spectacular. They had a party there last year, and I really, really wanted to go, but I think it was $300 a person. It's expensive. They do. They have yeah. benefits there. And right. I just couldn't yeah. swing it. It was either $300 or $400. I just remember it was like, I was like, yeah, I just I just have to be a real grown-up here and, <laughs> and not... And not yeah. do it, but I really wanted to go. I really wanted to. So there, there's been two I've wanted to go to, but otherwise I get, I don't get enough notice or um okay the next you know, time i hear it because sometimes i get them or, or our friend luella gets gets the notices the next time we get one i'll let you know and we'll see if we want to break the bank and 
okay. and uh, visit this historic location because it yeah, really is a, like you said, a beautiful home. I mean, we've seen pictures of the inside, right, with Walt up on that. Is it like an indoor balcony overlooking the yeah, it's living the room? It's the what um, Diane and Sharon called the Juliet balcony. Yeah, well, it was a Juliet balcony, and they actually called it Christmas Tree Point because when they would wake up it on Christmas morning, the tree was there, and they could over in, in that area, How and they could it? stand on the balcony and look down at it. And Walt would get an enormous tree; it would go all the way up practically. So, and again. Remember how in the first house I was talking about, I not the house on Lyric, how he had the stained glass uh, mm. diamond cut out. In this house too, there's another stained glass. Um, is of a castle that you can see through one of the windows, which I, is really yeah. I've seen, of course, just pictures. I haven't seen it myself, but now I'm kind of determined to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, the house is about 6,300 square feet, and it was originally on almost one and a half acres. And it had a broad lawn that went down a hill to the street, and the location had winding, narrow, and sometimes steep streets. And Walt told newspaper columnist Hedda Hopper, and, and she, the fans of I Love Lucy, you've seen her on I Love Lucy when Ricky was filming Don Juan. In, in out in Hollywood, um, she was known for her big hats. Um, anyway, he told her in 1964 that I found a graduate of the Vienna Academy of Fine Arts, and I had him paint my whole ceilings. He has this fresco on the oh ceiling of the house. Gosh. Yeah, that, I want to see that. Walt had a pool installed. That's where he personally taught his daughters how to swim, and he often invited animators from his studio to come over and use it. And it's great because the Walt Disney Studio, I mean, the Walt Disney Museum, they have video of Walt horsing around in the pool with animators, with his girls, and all that. So now what Roy said about this was he hung this swimming pool up on the corner of this darn thing. It's a granite hill, and we were taking bets to see if it would stand. It's 35 years, and it's still there. And this is in <laughs> 1968. So um, Walt had one of the bedrooms converted into a screening room, primarily to view dailies. And that's you know the film footage shot for a particular day for later review. He did this for his first live-action film, Song of the South, in 1946. He wanted to see the dailies. And so that's why they... Um, converted converted it diane disney said um the, but the room was used for many celebrity home screening rooms um what would borrow films from other studios so that he could watch them without having to go to a regular movies theater and then he they would invite friends over to watch them and um Jake anyway um, yeah, the Walking Way House was featured in the January 1940 issue of Better Homes and Gardens magazine. And then the uh, the Disney family moved out in 1950 and moved to a new home in Holmby Hills. And we'll, we'll get there. And then over the years, parts of the land was sold, including the section with the original pool. That's part of another property. The pool that's with the house today was built in 1963. And... Um, do you want to add anything else before I, I have a very I have a sad historical bit of trivia about oh, this house, but okay, let's just a keep couple the things. Disney connection first. <laughs> well, one of the things I was going to say is he was only 28 when he bought this house. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm just thinking 
What you, we said that he moved to LA when he was 20, 21 with a suitcase and a smile, right? Mm-hmm. And $40 in his pocket. And from that to being able to buy this beautiful house and, and to add to it and everything in that short of time, I can only imagine besides the ingenuity, the, the go get, he was, he just went out and did things and thank goodness for us that he was able to, to do that. But, um, I just want to say that, that the home itself, it's only about a five minute drive from the, from the house on Lyric Avenue. Like I've been saying, these are all really close to each other. When you drive up there, I used ways to, to get to this house and I passed it twice before I finally figured out that the, uh, the tall brick, um, brick wall that I was passing was, was the actual house. So it's, it's got a driveway that it doesn't drive straight up into the property. It's, it's one that you enter like a sideways, you could say, you, you know, you enter and you've got the wall and you drive up along through the driveway and you can see the top of the house and you can see the entrance to the property. So don't go there thinking that you're going to see the beautiful uh, front door and, and that whole facade because you're not going to see that. But you will see the entrance to the house and the top of the house when you go there. Yeah. And while, and if you're wondering, Walt went, when the Burbank studio opened several years later, he Walt would drive there by taking Riverside Drive around Griffith Park to get from this house to the studio. That's a really beautiful drive. Mm-hmm. And on Riverside Drive, just so you know, there's a, a drive-through Baskin-Robbins ice cream store there. Ah, okay. That's that's good. Maybe we'll <laughs> stop there on our, on our tour yeah. here that we're doing. <laughs> so, okay, my, my sad historical trivia note. Uh, you know, the Charles Manson murders that were... That have been meant they're they're in what's that film they were in one day in Hollywood what's the name of that film once, Craig? A, once upon a time once upon yeah. a time in Hollywood okay the Charles Manson murders in sixty nine they called it the Tate LaBianca murders Lino and Rosemary LaBianca who are the victims of these murders they were living at the Walking Way house at the time of their deaths not this particular house but like across, near it no they were in this house. Uh, that's that's what I. That's what I came up with when I was looking, when I was reading about this house. That's very creepy. But now we are going to take a drive through this week in Disney history. So, so are you two ready? Have your thinking caps on? Oh yeah. Okay, I know it's it's getting late here, so let's. I know, know. poor Craig. <laughs> all right, so I'm getting my pen out because hopefully I can keep track of all this stuff correctly. So hold on now, I'm just writing names down. I should have done this before. Okay, let me run through the rules. So um, and for our, our and connecting us, well, listeners out there, you can play along too. So okay. You will get three points if you choose to not hear the multiple choice options. Like you just are confident in the answer. So you'll get three points for that. If you choose to hear the multiple choice options, you will get two points for the correct answer. If you ask me to remove an incorrect option, you will receive one point for that correct answer. 
If you correctly answer the question after your opponent answers the question incorrectly, you will receive one point. In the event of a tie, there will be a tiebreaker question, and you may find having a pencil and paper nearby very helpful for the bonus question. Got it. Okay. Any questions? About that. Okay. So, all right. So let's head out. Now, uh, Mary Jo, since you are our guest, you have the choice of taking the first question or handing it off to Craig. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take the first question. Okay. All right. There's strategy behind whichever <laughs> choice you make. All right. This is for February 16th. A musical action-adventure comedy film directed by Brian Henson and produced by Jim Henson Productions and distributed by Walt Disney Pictures was released in theaters on February 16, 1996. It is the fifth feature film to star the Muppets. What is the name of this film? I And I know Craig is groaning right now. Oh, yeah, no, this I, would have been uh, three easy points. <laughs> yeah, you probably know this right off the bat. I'm going to guess, because I can't think of any. Is it Muppets from Outer Space? Is that your final answer? Dang it. I know I got wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, to switch it up. So I might. Yeah, no, but once, once I give an answer, I'm not going to okay. ask for multiple choice. That Dang is correct. Okay. So, Craig, for one point, do you want me to run through these again or do you just nope. know it? It's Muppet Treasure Island. That's correct. Oh, yeah, yeah I wouldn't course, have got it right. And of course, it is based on Robert Louis Stevenson's classic 1883 novel, Treasure Island. The Muppets, along with Kevin Bishop, Tim Curry, and Bill Connolly, take to the high seas in search of buried treasure. This is a fun film. I like this one. Okay, February 17th. Craig, this is for you. You have it's one one to nothing, but you know, Mary Jo, there's we have plenty of days in this week. Disneyland's satellite view of America, originally called Space Station X1 when the park first opened in 1955, closed on February 17th, 1960. What replaced it the following May? I will have multiple choice, please. Okay. Was it A, Mission Space, B, The Art of Animation, C, Monsanto Hall of Chemistry, or D, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea Exhibit? Well, that didn't help me at all. So I'm just going to guess, and I'm going to guess... I'm going to guess C, the Monsanto. Hall of Chemistry? Yeah. No, that is incorrect. Hmm. Okay, so Mary Jo, you can steal. What replaced Disneyland's satellite view of America in May 1960? Was it A, Mission Space, B, The Art of Animation, or D, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea exhibit? I'm going to go with Mission Space. Okay, that is incorrect. Dang it. It okay. was be the art of animation this is where you could buy those you know 50 cent uh, cells <laughs> dollar cells and all that they sold back in the day 
I can't think of them having that in 1960. That's interesting. Yeah, okay. yeah, it was there. Okay. <laughs> All righty. All right. Well, Mary Jo, it's your turn. And here's where you can really jump ahead. Okay. So. Okay. This I'm so is glad I don't have a big ego. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's no ego. Okay. On February 18th, 1979, the Daily News reports... Award-winning theater producer Joseph Papp is negotiating with the Walt Disney Organization to acquire the legitimate theater rights to a classic Walt Disney animated feature. Now, this stage version would include the film's original songs, and it would feature Linda Ronstadt in a leading role. For which Disney film did Joe Papp acquire the rights? Oh, I'm going to have to take multiple choice. Okay. Was it 1937's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? 1950's Cinderella? 1953's Peter Pan? Or 1959's Sleeping Beauty? And Linda Ronstadt was in, was in this? She was the leading role for the stage version of this film. Give me the choices again, please, Michael. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, A, B, Cinderella, C, Peter Pan, or D, Sleeping Beauty. Oh, I'm going to go with B. Cinderella? Cinderella. That is incorrect. Okay. Craig. You can steal this one. Did Joe Papp want to produce Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs of Linda Ronstadt or Peter Pan or Sleeping Beauty? Uh, well, my choice, if it was going to come to me and she didn't guess it herself, was going to be Cinderella. Uh, so I'm going to... Uh, this is tough because I know I, I think I've seen the the Mary Martin stage version of Peter Pan before, and I could have swore there was songs in there, so I don't know why they would blend those songs with Disney songs. But I could be just completely misremembering all of that. So I'm gonna roll out Peter Pan, and then it was Snow White, and what was the other one again? Sorry, Sleep. Sleeping Beauty. I'm going to I'm going to go with Snow White. Final answer? Yes. <laughs> you are correct. It was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. The Pap Ronstadt Snow White will be presented free of charge during the summer of 1983 in a Delacorte Theater in Central Park. Unfortunately, this show will never be produced. So, That's I why saw, I don't remember her. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. What were you going to say? No, well, I remember I saw Pirates of Penzance, and then they did produce it. Because they, he would do, I think every year, he would do a free... A musical in the park and then sometimes it would go on the road and i saw it with linda ronstadt he did they did pirates of penzance and it was fantastic well i love and her they voice made a, anyway and then they made a film version of it as well with most of the original cast from oh, cool. the, the musical so, that sometimes i'll put that dvd on because it was briefly available on DVD. It might still be somewhere out there. Um, when I want to be cheered up. Because it's just so funny. And anyway. Okay. 
All right. Well, it is um, two. Craig, you have two, and I think it is your turn, too. Okay. February 19th. This attraction opened at Disneyland on February 19th, 1956. It was considered a financial and guest failure. What was it? Uh, Multiple choice, please. A, Tomorrowland Boats, B, Junior Utopia, C, Holidayland, or D, Keller's Jungle Killers? Mm. I will – can I eliminate one? Sure. I'll eliminate Holidayland. Okay. That was going to be – that's kind of leaning towards that, so that's not good. Um, I feel like we just talked about boats in Tomorrowland. I think when we had Tony on the show, and I'm trying to remember if you said that was a failure or not, but that was also kind of my gut answer. So I'll say that one. Okay, that is incorrect. Huh. Okay, Mary Joe. What opened on February 19th, 1956, and it was a financial and guest failure? Was it Junior Utopia or Keller's Jungle Killers? Okay, so so I have an idea of the one that I'm thinking of, but I'm, I'm just going to mention, uh, since, since Craig did bring up the, the motorboats, as kids, we loved that ride. I know mm-hmm. you and Tony said that it was a stupid ride. Well, I couldn't say that, but that you can understand how anybody would enjoy it. When you're a kid and you think you're driving it, my it was actually open still while my children were were really young. Oh, mine too. Yeah, yeah. And and I just remember. And then of course when when you're older, like ten, eleven, and realize that you're, we used to just act silly and everything in those boats, but we still rode them. But my oh yeah, answer, well, like I said, it was it's a topia <laughs> on water, so my children loved it. Yeah, because we because we didn't know any better, so we thought we were really driving the, the boats. The the fact that we turn the the steering the we try to steer it and nothing happened nothing to us (laughs) but i'm you know what i think i'm going to go with junior utopia they already had an utopia and then they opened up this small little one so i can't see how that would be something that people would want to go on when they could go on these other ones that were if they were open yet we'll find out but and I'm going to go with Junior Utopia. Okay. Yeah, that, the Junior Utopia is for the, the little kids set. But it's actually Keller's Jungle Killers. I never this, even heard of it. This was a circus act in the Mickey Mouse Club tent. And the act features in the Mickey Mouse Club circus tent. And the Mickey Mouse Club circus was infamous in Disneyland history. Animals escaped. Uh, a woman on the high wire act. Her We, we talked about this on Disneyland 60 series. Her costume split revealing... <laughs> She wasn't wearing anything beneath um, the act, but but Walt missed it because he was out chasing animals that had run down to the Disney Santa Fe Railroad tracks. That's um, hilarious. The, the act features George Keller. He's a college professor turned lion tamer who previously performed at the Ringling Brothers Barnum & Bailey Circus. Keller's jungle killers included African lions, tigers, leopards, mountain lions, jaguars, black panthers, and even a cheetah. Keller will continue his show at Disneyland through September. Originally a popular college professor of visual arts at Bloomsburg 
Teachers College in Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania, Keller's interest in show business started back in 1939 when he ran a jungle farm sideshow in his spare time. Yeah, the whole circus thing, it didn't work. They, I think it was like a dollar extra to pay to go in. And basically, Walton Roy learned that, you know, people come to Disneyland for Disneyland. They don't want to come and watch a circus. So. Anyway. With 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 all the trivia that that I I've eaten up over the years, I can't. There's just so much out there I don't know. That's what I'm finding out. <laughs> okay, I think Mary Jo, it's your turn. Okay. So, um, okay, February twentieth, AT and T and the Walt Disney Company announced the latest project in their thirty five year association on February twentieth, nineteen ninety five. What is this project? Oh, Indiana Jones. That's oh, correct. Na- oh, it is correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because I was thinking there's AT&T actually in the Mara font in the in the queue. That's right. And remember they gave out those little cards? Oh, I still so have that you mine. Could, I still have mine. I have mine in a desk drawer right here. Yeah. So that you could um, yeah decipher the hieroglyphics or whatever those were. And, and you know, people talk about... In the, how long the queues were when it opened up in 1990. Okay, so two things. When it opened up in 1995, that was on uh, J- July 17th on Disney's birthday. Indiana mm-hmm. Jones went from the Matterhorn instead of Tinkerbell during oh, the day. <laughs> I, remember I remember that. Do you, and they played the Indiana Jones theme song. And I remember, and we stood in line for four hours. It went from Ed, it went from Adventureland to Main Street to Frontierland back to Main Street and Adventureland um, to go on there. And we didn't mind. We went there just to go on Indiana Jones. Oh, so they didn't have boarding groups like they do today for Rise of the Resistance. (laughs) Exactly. And that's why they have boarding groups today. Exactly. I remember when Star Tours opened and the lines went like back to the gate down Main Street. Yeah. Yeah. We even stood in line for, I think, two to three hours for rocket rods back in the day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true, true Disney nerd. Okay, you jumped ahead, Mary Jo. It's three to two, but um, Craig can catch up with this next one. Okay, Craig, what debuted for the first time at the Walt Disney World Resort on February 21st, 1997? Um, I will do multiple choice. Okay, A. Is it an audio animatronic figure of President Bill Clinton in the Magic Kingdom's Hall of Presidents? B, the Flower and Garden Festival at Epcot? C, Star Wars Weekend at the Disney MGM Studios? Or D, the infamous Cinderella Castle birthday cake for the Magic Kingdom's 25th anniversary? I want to say, I think it might, I I know for sure it wasn't the castle. I think it might have been, if I'm doing my math right and remembering a couple of nerdy facts, I think it might have been Star Wars Weekend. Is that your final answer? Yeah. Yeah. You are correct. Star Wars Weekend. 
See, now he's saying that for every question. That was my question. Got that right? Yep. And Star Wars Weekend will be held for the next five consecutive weekends. So you're ahead, Craig, four to three. Mary Jo, you are going to get the last one. So you could go ahead or Craig could steal it from you. Okay. Animator, filmmaker, cartoonist, author, artist, and screenwriter Chuck Jones, best known for his work with Warner Brothers cartoons on the Looney Tunes and Merry Melody shorts, passed away at age 89 in Newport Beach, California on February 22, 2002. Now, Jones worked at Warner Brothers throughout the 1950s, except for a brief period in 1953 when Warner temporarily closed the animation studio. During this interim, Jones found employment at Walt Disney Productions, where he teamed with Ward Kimball for a four-month period of uncredited work on a Disney film. What is the name of the Disney film Chuck Jones briefly worked on? Um, I'm going to have to take multiple choice. Was it Peter A, Peter Pan, B, Sleeping Beauty, C, Lady and the Tramp, or D, Perry? So they were, the film didn't open in 53. He was working on it in 53. He worked on it in 1953. Okay, so I think Peter Pan was before that. And I seem to remember that the castle at Disneyland was going to be named differently, but because they wanted to promote Sleeping Beauty, they named it Sleeping Beauty Castle. So if it, if, if it takes a while for them to, to open after, I'm going to say Sleeping Beauty. Final answer? Yeah. You are correct. That was very good sleuthing there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, Yeah, it was Sleeping Beauty, and Chuck Jones wrote, produced, and directed many classic animated cartoon shorts starring Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Wile E. Coyote, and the Roadrunner, Pepe Le Pew, Porky Pig, Michigan J. Frog, The Three Bears, and so many other Warner Brothers characters. I love Warner Brothers. Yeah, so do I. And and Chuck Jones, I mean, right away when you say his name, I think of Bugs Bunny and, and those characters. Putting his name together with Sleeping Beauty, mm-hmm. boy, that's, <laughs> I, I can't see it, but man, that he was truly talented. He was, he was. <laughs> and I, if I remember correctly from reading it, he did not particularly enjoy his time at Disney. Because, you know, Disney was very strict in their look, and especially for Sleeping Beauty. And I think he had a hard, you know, some animators have a hard time with that. You know, so um, anyway, Mary Jo, congratulations. You have five to Craig's four. Hmm. Totally thought that Craig, I expected Craig to crush me. So uh, Craig, I'm I'm sorry, my friend, but I really enjoyed this. No, it was fun. (laughs) It was. Absolutely. So we um, will have to have you back again to do that. So um, anyway, so well done. Well, well, thank you. I've truly enjoyed this time to this to get together. So, Mary Jo, how can our listeners connect with you? 
Um, actually, uh, if you go to the disboards.com, I'm there pretty much every day on, on the, our podcast board and, and the Disneyland board, etc. Or you can find me on um, Facebook at Mary Jo Mulatto Willie or Twitter, Mary Jo MW, I believe. Um, you'll see me in those places. Okay, great. Okay. And again, thank you so much for being being on our episode. Um, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? As always, you can find me on any of the shows that we, we do on our podcast network. And then on social media, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. Michael, what about you? Now you can send me messages at Michael at WDWinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. Do the one with the Connecting with Walt banner. Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz. And you can connect with me and Craig, like I've been saying, on Twitter at Connecting Walt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studios, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at disunplugged.com. And Craig has Craig is always good about having a link in there. And, and you'll hear Mary Jo on a lot of those episodes. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. Thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Roy.